devotion and prayer. And um, we talked about Philippians 1, uh, verse 12. The things which happened to me have actually turned out for the furtherance of the gospel. And we thought about that and we gave some testimonies. We had uh, a number of people give testimonies. And then people came to me afterwards and they said, man, I wish I had gave a testimony. So we may do that again Wednesday night and have some more. Because they said, I can think about the times that God did this in my life back when I was unsaved. And then they wanted, to, they wanted to tell us about what it was like that they were unsaved and the tools that God put in their toolbox then that they were using now as a saved person. And what we're going to read today in Acts chapter 6 and Acts chapter 8, we're looking at the deacons in the early church and, the, and what the deacon's life is supposed to look like and what his actions are supposed to be like. And in, in, in the one right there at the start of Acts Eight, about one through four it talks about paul and it says paul was still spitting out these venomous things against the way the christian way and uh and it and because of his persecution it says the jews or the i'm sorry the disciples were scattered and it said they went about preaching the good word they're preaching the gospel they were scattered they were forced out of there so paul even in his wickedness because he's the one that wrote that the things that have happened to me have actually turned out for the furtherance of the gospel he's the one that that wrote that in that letter to the philippians but the things that he did even before he was saved helped to further the gospel because he drove those people out of their place of comfort think about that if someone comes here and begins to persecute this fellowship we would be better than we are now in this place of comfort because we would be forced to leave and oh man, what happened to you? Man, I was forced out of church. Oh, you went to church? What did you go to church for? Well, I'm a follower of Christ. And then all of a sudden, you're furthering the gospel. But we sit here in our comfort and we don't do that. So even in the, um, Acts chapter 8, that was another just a, another pointer of what it, God will do what it takes to promote his gospel to the nations. And he's going to use you. You can say, you're not going to use me, God. And he's going to be like, all right, Jonah, watch me not use you. And he's going to take you, and he's going to throw you in the fish, and he's going to spit you out on the land, and he's going to use you, because he has a purpose for you. So in looking at Acts chapter 6 last week, so this is part 2 of being a deacon, there's probably 12 parts, but you won't have to hear them all today. You just have to hear part 2 today. We'll work on future parts in the future. How about that? So in Acts chapter 6, in reading that, I want to read that to you again, uh, just where it talked about the initiation of the deacon. I'm going to read it out of old Uncle King James there. And in those days... When the number of the disciples was multiplied, there arose a murmuring of the Grecians against the Hebrews because their widows were neglected in the daily ministration. When the twelve, then the twelve called the multitude of the disciples unto them and said, It's not reason that we should leave the word of God and serve tables. It's not good that those that are preaching the word consistently to the body that existed currently should leave that work and begin doing serving that was more, uh, that took less skill maybe. Wherefore, brethren, look ye among yourselves seven men of honest report, full of the Holy Ghost and wisdom, whom we may appoint over this business. But we will give ourselves, the pastorate, will give ourselves continually to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And the saying pleased the whole multitude, and they chose Stephen, a man full of faith of the Holy Ghost, and Philip, and Prochorus, and Nicanor, and Timon, and Permenaeus, and Nicholas, a proselyte of Antioch whom they sent before the apostles, and when they had prayed, they laid their hands on them, and the word of God increased, and the number of the disciples multiplied in Jerusalem greatly, and a great company of the priests were obedient to the faith. So, they made disciples. The, the, so, so the initial disciples that followed Christ, the twelve, they added the one, they had to vote the other Mattathias guy in there um, after Judas fell away. So we got this twelve that had been with Jesus all this time. And this group said, we need to really focus on getting the gospel out there. But they had this little murmuring. We talked about that yesterday or last week, and I was proud. My man Strong actually remembered the word chismoso. It's like a rat chewing. It means to gossip in Spanish. Chismoso. Everybody was talking. They were arguing. They were nibbling at each other instead of building one another up. And in that, they said, this is not good. We've got to figure out a way so that everyone is treated fairly in the fellowship. The widows of both the Hebrews and the Greeks that did not interact well, that both are cared for, both groups of people are cared for, the poverty of this one group and the poverty of the other, and that they're both cared for. So we're going to get, and if you look at this list of names, some of them are Greek names and some of them are Hebrew names. So that's what they did. So we've got to pick some from both teams, and then I'm going to make the Hebrews take care of the Greeks, and the Greeks take care of the Hebrews. That would be the best way to handle that. Then you get the heart for the other group of people. I made that last part up, but it would work. I'm just telling you. So... 
So when we looked at the thing there, and when we saw that their, their five-fold purpose was, number one, to free the pastor to preach and serve more effectively. He's already serving. He's already doing everything. He's feeding. He's gathering. He's evangelizing. He's disciple-making. He's ministering to the widows and the orphans. He's doing all that stuff already. He doesn't quit doing that. He brings these other guys that can help him do more of it. Can we turn the heat down just a hair, Zach, please? Man, I'm telling you, it gets warm up here. You're just a couple feet taller, and all of a sudden you're like, so if I go down, it's Zach's fault. Um, so the first was to free the pastor to preach and serve more effectively. I just want you to notice Deacon Zach there is doing the, uh, helping, the helping the minister there. Appreciate it there, Deacon, Deacon Zach. And the next was to promote church harmony. We talked about that, that the deacon at the point he becomes a deacon no longer has an opinion that he can share with the body. He can only share it with other deacons and the pastor. People can come to the deacon and say, here's the conflict I have, and he has to take it. He has to process it. Okay, let me, uh, let me talk to the boss man and see what he says. Then he takes it to the deacons. They discuss it. They try to work out the solution. He can't take sides in a conflict with the church body. He's a peacekeeper. So he promotes church harmony. The next is to care for the welfare of the body. And I said, that's something that we do very well here, the deacon body does here. They see a need. Like I said, they, they're, they're willing to do whatever it takes to care for the need. If it be a physical need, spiritual need, whatever, they're, they're willing to do that. To be a more effective witness, if we look at Stephen, if we look at uh, Philip, what we're going to look at today, we see that these guys, man, these guys were hammers. Uh, Philip's responsible for the, the Samaritan, the, the people of Samaria, receiving the gospel. It says multitudes came to hear uh, Philip. He's the one that went to the Ethiopian eunuch. So he can go to the poor. He can go to the rich. He's the total, he's the total uh, evangelistic pastor. And the last was to be a strong leader. And we saw that with Stephen, where he was willing to give his very life in order to take the pressure off of that church. If Stephen goes up there and testifies, if Stephen goes and evangelizes openly and publicly, it takes the pressure off of this, this growing group of believers that's happening there in the book of Acts. So William and I, uh, we were talking this last week, and I don't, I wanna, I'm going to say some things, and then you, if you're some of, the, some of the people that came with us initially from this other church, I'm not trying to be offensive to you. I just know that we're, we're growing, man. We're a growing bunch of people. So listen to it in that way and, and receive it in that way if you would. But, so William's the chairman of our deacons. And, and in that, he and I discuss things, and then he, he kind of points stuff downhill to the deacons. They point stuff back up to hill to him, and he organizes and does that kind of thing. And we were talking about this last Sunday after we had the service when we talked about the, the, the work of the deacon. And he said, he, he wasn't making an excuse. And he was just saying, you know, he said, um, really the only thing, and, and, and it's true, uh, all of us that were deacons at, at Central, Pete was uh, with us and Strong and Jimmy, were you? Um, was somebody else? Dick, were you one? Okay. So, um, it's been a while. <laughs> so anyway, somebody came at one point from the deacons over there. Anyway, no, so he said, the only thing I really knew about being a deacon was whatever I learned there. That's a, that's a reasonable argument for, for all of us, for things where we fall short. Because a lot of things that we do, we only do it because somebody else told us this, this is how we do it. And I'm not dogging central, because I think... That central, Central's plan, that's where we, we planted this church coming out of Central Baptist Church. They say go out, and we ask if we could go out and kind of reach the, the a different part of the community of Cumberland County and the unchurched and the unsaved. And we started meeting in a school, and Central's like, yeah, you can go. So we went. And in going, all we could do was take what we knew to be true, what we grew up in that church together. A lot of us, how many, how many years did you go there, Pete? How many years did you go to Central? Seven years. How many, Jimmy? About seven. Strong, but... Well, well, I was there almost 20 years. Ray, how you was 10 there, 10 years at least. I mean, the people that came out of there, we only know what we were trained in in there, what we saw in there as we acted as deacons there. And this is how the deacon, this is how the tr deacon training went when we got there. You can, you can remind me if I'm wrong. So we went to the first deacons meeting. They're like, all right, you guys are deacons now. Uh, and the very, within six months, Strong was chairman of deacons. He had no clue what he was doing. I'm not dogging you. But they, it's not like they said, all right, here's what the chairman does. Here's what the chairman's responsible. They just said, you're the chairman. So in that, what happens is, it's like the book of Judges says, everyone did what was right in their own eyes. We did the best we could with what we knew to be true. And we hadn't studied enough God's word of what he says the deacon's supposed to accomplish. So 
So if you're off course a little bit in life and you're, you're on the wrong road on the map, all you got to do is look at the map. We got the map right here in the book. And then we just readjust course and we get on the right course. So I, I do apologize to you for things that we probably should have been doing as deacons and as the pastorate here. Um, and just know that our goal is to serve the Lord fully with our whole heart and to drive this church in the direction that he has for us to direct it in. And we want to act as pastors and deacons in a way that God would have us to act the way he wants it. So much of what we do in life, and this is a, this is a truism, I'll give it to you for free. Most of what you know to be true, someone that you trust very much has told you that it's true. Okay? When it comes to God's word, you've got to be very careful that you study to show yourself approved unto God, a workman that needs not be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth, correctly understanding what the word says. You have to take God's word, and you have to read it for yourself. And so many things that we think we know, we know it because somebody else told us it was true. A stitch in time saves nine. Is that in the Bible? Sure it is. You know, whatever. The things that we think are in there, it's a book of hesitations, I learned that's where it's at. But you just like, you don't know where you got it, but it seems reasonable and true. So we think we know it. So we got to go back to God's word. And we got to take men that we trust, authors that we trust, uh, you know, a, a Warren Wiersbe maybe, or a, or, a, or a James McDonald, or John MacArthur, uh, or you name a guy, Piper, or whoever. And you, you take that guy and you hear what he says. Then you measure it through God's word and you say, is this correct? You allow the Holy Spirit to speak with him. I let Tony speak to me. And then I listen. I read the word for myself, I let the Holy Spirit speak to me, and I take those two, or three, or five, and I measure them, I go back to the Greek, I go back to the Hebrew, and I say, is that what that means? And if that's what it means, then that's the direction that we go. It's called the uh, orientation of the map. When you had to do land nav back in the day, you had to take the map, you had to take the compass, it had a declination diagram, it said true north is here, and actual north is right here, you had to adjust your compass to actual north and you had to turn it you can be really close going by true north but you can be way wrong in being really close so we want to be as correct as we possibly can in serving you in that way and and like william said he's like man it's all we knew it is it's all we knew we did the best we could but in that he reminded me just how gracious god is with us every day every day every day he is so gracious to mankind in our ignorance he really is now it says that if you know to do right do not do it it is sin so once the ignorance has been addressed and you recognize that you've been off track, well, then it's time to make a change and you make those changes. But, but God directs us like a gentle father through life. He puts different people in our paths, like Pastor Tony for me or Pastor Elias or even Pastor Rene recently. I've had a lot of good, good uh, conversations with him. These guys that have been pastors longer have dealt with more situations and dealt with more uh, Pastor Chibui. Um, you deal with those guys and you're like, oh, that's a good point. I, I never saw it that way. God's gently directing through these other men of God through his word. And in that in time, he keeps you where at the end of the day, you can say these things have happened to me. These things that have happened to me have actually turned out for the furtherance of the gospel. Once you allow those things to work on you and change you. And it says that, uh, well, like I said, he directs us as a good father. And in that, that he knows that time in the word and personal experience is going to make you mature and thoroughly equipped for every good work. He knows it takes time. When I got out of the military years ago, I never really followed anything politically or anything like that. And um, uh, there wasn't a whole lot of politics on radio like there is now. You got Rush Limbaugh, Sean Hannity or whatever. That wasn't really, I think Rush Limbaugh was already on the radio by then, but it wasn't common to listen to him throughout the United States. That was about 93 or so. And and, and so I began to read, like, magazines about the news or the newspaper. I never really read the newspaper at that point. And so, you know, you read a couple newspapers, you read a couple magazines, Time or Newsweek or whatever, people, and you're, all of a sudden you think you know stuff. So I crack off to my dad something about politics one way or another. And really, my dad had his flaws for sure, but in this he was pretty gracious. He was like, ah, you'll figure it out someday, son. And that's how God the Father works. He really does. You can, you can question what he says. He allows that. But he's like, you're going to figure it out someday. You, you think you know now, but you're going to see. And he allows us to mature in that. And we have to allow one another 
to mature. As we grow spiritually, we'll naturally begin to change, just like we do as, as a little feller growing up to become a, a Dave-sized feller or a whatever-sized person. You know, you start off as a, a baby. You don't know that much. You have the easy food we talked about this morning, the, the mother's milk. But there comes a time in the Christian's life where he's supposed to be able to have better, stronger, and more durable food like the T-bone. You can't live your whole life on the mother's milk. So as that happens, or if it doesn't happen, you're the, you're the Christian, and you've not really changed from the time you were a child. You have the same mentality of a child. If you had that in a personality, you would say that person was retarded or mil- mentally ill. For a person to have a, a mature, grown person's body, but to still think as a child. But as a believer, we're called to do more than that. We're, the Bible says, when I was a child, I spoke like a child, I thought like a child, I understood like a child. But then I became a man, and I put away childish things. So those things of the past that, that formed us as a child, some of those things are good, and they help us develop our thinking and our ability to think and reason, things like that. But in time, you have to put away those things and begin to mature as a man. And this, with this changing, we have to be patient with those around us that may not be at the same spiritual level as we perceive ourselves to be on. Often we perceive ourselves at a higher spiritual level than we are, and God's looking at us like, you're such a child. But you know where you're at. So be humble with the other people around. So our church, so, so if we're relating it to a person, that's one thing. We relate it to our church. Our church has gone through this, this changing formation as well in the five-plus years that we've been meeting together. Um, we started off with a... We, we actually read a book, a number of us, called Simple Church. I'll talk about that in a second. But we started off with this real simplified format of, well, we're just going to come together on Sunday mornings. We're going to sing, you know, what you know, meet in three. We're going to sing three songs and have a sermon. That's going to be it for the week. We're going to have a meal afterwards. And it wasn't long with that that, um, that we thought, well, uh, people kept coming like, man, I, I wish we had some time to pray. We used to spend a lot of time in prayer and now we're just doing church. Well, maybe we could do that on Wednesday night. Maybe we could do it on Sunday. So we added a Sunday before church prayer time. Then we added a Wednesday night where we were praying together. We still have those things. Please come and pray with us as a body. It's where we grow in fellowship with one another. It's where we mature in the Word and begin to develop more fully in the Word. But uh, in those things, uh, we just discovered that we could hear His voice better if we prayed beforehand, we could hear his voice better when the message was brought. In those things, we began to mature in those things. Like I said, we read this book called Simple Church, and it seemed like a great idea at the time. I, I remember getting that book, and I was like, yeah, some of the stuff we're doing here at this church, it seems a little over the top or unnecessary or, or too busy. And so maybe that's what we need to do. Maybe we need to simplify it down. And, uh, but this is what I've discovered, I mean, about keeping stuff too simple. You keep stuff too simple, you become lazy because you have no purpose. Um, we like simple. I mean, mankind likes simple. That's why we like drive-throughs and PayPal. You just click on, oh, buy another one. Click, click, click. We want it simple. But the way that that thing became simple was there was a lot of thought and development in order to make something functionally simple. Did you ever think about that? How much work it takes to make PayPal work? All you have to do is push a button, but I'm telling you, there was maybe millions of man hours of programming and so on in order to make that button work. So simple implies limited effort. And with little effort, you get little results. And so every service that we have here, it's not, it may look simple to you as you come and you sit and you receive. It ain't simple. Dale spends a lot of time studying, or Dave does, or Jed does when he's preaching. Jed spends time working on music and stuff. Sarah spends time working on music. The ladies work on the meal and the organization of that and the care of that, the cleanup of that. It's not simple. It looks simple now because it's already in production. But nothing in life that's good, I've told you before, is usually simple. It usually requires a lot of work. The good things in life, if it's uh, um, anything, anything productive in life, anything that makes wealth, usually requires a lot of effort. And as the body of Christ, we need to refocus ourselves. I'm hoping that we see this as we begin to serve one another. When we're in Peru, that little baby crying makes me laugh. Every time we'd hear a baby cry, we'd say, is that you, Joel? <laughs> Act like it was Joel whining. <laughs> so, sorry, Joel. Joel's getting dogged. He's not even here to defend himself. We'll, we'll, is that you, Jed? No, turn it on, Jed. Poor Jed. Anyway. So the final result of much of what we do here, it may look simple, but trust me, it's not. It, didn't, it doesn't just happen. It takes effort. So we do, we do try to keep our services simple as possible, um, but we've got to be careful. 
because too much simplicity, too much of ease of hearing the word can lead to no growth. And I'm not talking about people growth because there's a lot of churches in town that have really nice, really wonderful services, really exciting, you know, bunch of jazz going on. But, and it's growing in numbers of people, but I don't really care about that. God doesn't care about that. He wants spiritual growth in the person. You know that? You can go, you can go evangelize all the people you want, but if when hard times come, they're like the, the seed that on, falls on the hard soil and it sprouts and it burns up and dies, then you've wasted your time. You've wasted their time and you've wasted your time. So I would rather see people grow spiritually, develop spiritually, than grow numerically. And in this body, we have seen some numerical growth. Um, but what we really want to do is we want to see spiritual growth in the body. We want to see more people being willing to serve no matter what that thing, like those young people being excited to come and, and share a song. Well, that's a good thing. That's a good sign. That means that they trust you, that they think of you as family. You should think of us as family. We think of you as family. And, and at Christmas time, I used to make my poor kids learn songs to sing to their grandparents. Grandparents loved it. Kids hated it. But it's what you do. <laughs> There's a lot of stuff that's simple. A shovel's simple enough. But you go working with it all day, and you'll find out it's pretty hard. Reading, reading the Bible simple enough. You just open the book, right? And you scan your eyes across the page. But when it comes to studying it, it takes effort. It takes work. So, so work on that. So the point is, all that to say, that to be a good deacon takes hard work. To be a deacon, as the Bible calls him to be, to be any kind of minister of the gospel, which all of us are called at the moment of salvation to become a minister of the gospel. That means in evangelism to other people, discipling even at the smallest level even if it's with you and your children as you talk to your children and don't don't think i'm taking that lightly that's the greatest ministry that you have it's right there in your house them kids ain't got a chance they're there with you every day to give them the gospel over and over till they till they understand it it requires effort all of us are called to do it but with effort comes growth spiritual growth and with spiritual growth comes satisfaction in your faith one of the one of the first things I ever did as far as ministry was teaching uh, third and fourth grade boys. And I actually, it's kind of funny now because some of the, well, no in here, but Jed's sister, uh, Rebecca, when she was in third, fourth, and fifth grade, I used to have her in Sunday school and youth things and stuff like that. And then to see her over here running a restaurant, it's like, it's like watching, I don't know. She's like, hey, you got to charge me for that work. It's like, I ain't charging you for that. It's like charging my daughter, you know what I mean? She's like this little, I remember as frisky little kid that she was you know it's hard to it's hard to do that because i remember as a child growing up but we get to see the fruit of it now when you have that experience but i, I got off track there the, the point is is that when i'm teaching them sunday school i'm the one that benefits the most because i begin to grow in the world in the word then i begin to teach older boys then i begin to teach men and the more i taught the more i grew the more satisfaction I gain. Not personal satisfaction, pride, and arrogance like that. Not to say that I don't struggle with those things. Everyone does. But I'm saying I grew spiritually by serving others, and God was able to use me. And that word that cracks me up in that sentence is actually. He says the things that happened to me have actually turned out. It's like he's as surprised as anyone. I'm as surprised as anyone that the things that I experienced in my past uh, from the time I was born till today have actually occurred for the furtherance of the gospel somehow i mean if you know me you know about how half cracked i am and surprisingly at some point i have led people to christ it's a miracle it's a miracle that god has used me it's a miracle if you knew who i was a youth i mean the reason i don't live in the town i grew up in is because i don't need to be there because i was that bad of a guy i was the guy that needed to leave i was such a, a knucklehead man i acted like such a jerk in high school that uh, the teachers got on me after a party one night from some stuff I'd said to a, a, a black kid there. And they were like, you just don't even need to be in this town. I was like, okay. So I left. <laughs> so I'm here now. So uh, aren't you guys lucky? <laughs> but it actually turned out for the furtherance of the gospel. It's a miracle that God can use me. It's a miracle he can use you too. Don't get your head too puffy there. The book of James says to be doers of the word. I got to read this to you. I read it and I was like, Oh, man, there's a lot in there. It says, uh, uh, James chapter 1. Blessed man, every man is tempted. I have luck on error, a good gift. So on, beloved. 
Where am I at there? Every man is tempted. Oh, here we are. I got him. Verse 22. But be ye doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving your own selves. If you stop right there, it's a big enough slap to the face. I just hear the word. I come on Sunday. I'm faithful to come every Sunday. Well, God bless you. Are you a hearer or are you a doer? Because it says the one that hears only, he's deceiving his own self. Look what he does. For if any be a hearer of the word and not a doer, he's unto a man, he's like unto a man beholding his natural face in a glass. For he beholdeth himself, that means he sees himself, and goeth, goeth his way, and straightway forgetteth what manner of man he is, what you really are. But whosoever looketh into the perfect law of liberty and continueth therein, he being not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the work, this man shall be blessed in his deed. If any man among you seem to be religious and bridleth not his tongue, that, doesn't, that means keep a check on his tongue, but deceiveth his own heart, this man's religion is vain. His religion is worthless. If you can't control your tongue, you're worthless. You cannot be used by God if you cannot control your tongue. Pure and undefiled religion before God and the Father is this, to visit the fatherless widows in their affliction, keep himself unspotted from the world. What does it mean to be a doer of the word? It says right there, he controls his tongue. It says he looks in there and he sees who he really is as he stands before God. And it says that he cares for the widow and the orphan. And the last thing, this is the hard part, is he keeps himself unspotted from the world. That's a big thing. To have the world here and all that it offers, it was... In all these places I go overseas and, and such, it, you see, you're like, these people have an easier Christian life. They have a harder life. They have an easier Christian life because the world dictates that they have nothing. So what they really have done well is fellowship, um, um, uh, communication with one another, and communication with God because they don't have anything else. We have so many distractions. We have a lot, but those things distract us. But it says he deceives himself. So what about a deacon? The Bible says that he's a slave of Christ. We talked about that last week, that all of us, the word was bondservants, but really it was slave. And they used the bondservant word because it was so offensive to be called a slave, but we're a slave to Christ. And the deacon, he's the, the so pastor, head slave, deacon, I don't know, next slave, <laughs> and the body, the rest of the slaves. We're all slaves. We're on the same playing field, but this slave serves the other slaves. So the deacon as a slave to the body. He's got a lot of responsibility on himself to be a doer of the word and not a hearer only. I was going to give you some examples of our guys here because I am, I'm really confident in the men that we have that have been called as deacons. Our, our man Isaac, we asked him to be a deacon. He's like, I don't know, I don't know if I want to be a deacon, man. He's like, I don't, I don't think I'm worthy to be a deacon. I don't think I'm, you know, moral enough, humble enough, good enough. My kids aren't old enough. I have not been married long enough. I don't know the word well. That's the guy God can use. That humble spirit right there, God can use that man. So the last time we're gone, um, me and Dave are gone, and his, oh, Jed's running the ship there, and he needs some backup, and he calls on Isaac, and Isaac comes and he preaches the word. So he does exactly the minister of the deacon that's called to support the pastor. So he does what needs to be done. Great example of a deacon. Oh, Pete there, he, uh, a couple weeks ago, kids were getting kind of rowdy there. He hops up, he takes the kids, he goes and serves the kids. In serving the kids, he serves you because he keeps the peace in here, keeps it quiet in here where you can hear. And, and everyone benefits by the work of a deacon and his care for others. I don't know, you remember that old, you remember that commercial when E.F. Hutton talks, people listen? All the old timers remember it, I guarantee it. But there was this commercial, you know, kids would be in school and, they're sitting at the desk, and one of the, the teacher tells the girl to say the ABCs, and she gets A, B, C, D, E, F, E, F, Hutton. And all the kids get up from their desk, and they lean over there, and the teacher leans over there. When E, F, Hutton talks, it was some kind of financial advisor guy, you know. When E, F, Hutton talks, people listen. When Jimmy talks, people listen. Jimmy don't say a lot. When he speaks, people are like, that was a pretty solid word, Jimmy. <laughs> I appreciate that. You can be, he can be counted on for a wise word in a timely manner. Zach, he's, the, he's just the slave, man. When we need heavy stuff lifted, we call on Zach. When we need stuff moved, we need a mission trip, we call on Zach. He's got a, he's got a heart that's willing and soft, and, and he cares for the poor. That's the other thing. He's willing to care for the widow and the orphan in their distress, so he does do that as well. 
and then and Big Willie back there, he does everything that's left. He makes sure that the deacons are organized. He's been out here. And he always tells me, you know, I'm a big man. I don't like to sweat or whatever. But he's out there running the weed eater in the ditch, you know, last summer so that the parking lot looked nice, you know, running it around the building, getting the stuff for communion, getting the cups. and He does whatever needs to be done. And all those things combined take pressure off of me or take pressure off the other guys to make decisions in those areas. Sometimes we have to say, hey, man, go do X and so, and they go and do it. But that's what they do. And then what you see is the simplified function of that. You see it after it's all done, and you can sit and relax because those guys have gone before and done that. Those deacons have obligations beyond the service times on Sunday and Wednesday. One thing that they're, honor, they're obliged to do is honor the good name of the church. Uh, I remember when I was uh, uh, ordained a deacon, I did something kind of crazy happened and some of you guys know the story you guys that were in my Sunday school class back in the day I got into a little tiff with a dude at Walmart and it just so happened that I was deacon of the week as God would prepare things in his sovereign will and so I had to stand in front of the whole this happened on Good Friday right before Easter so Easter Sunday I'm deacon of the week and I got to stand in front of the whole church and I said I know that that guy got into it with in Walmart I am sure as I've never been sure of anything before that he's in his service this morning. And I'm really sorry for how I acted at Walmart. And uh, I did threaten to beat him to death, but luckily he didn't take me up on it. So my kids, Kaylee and Dan were with me, and Kaylee, they were pretty small. Kaylee goes, come on, Dan, I think Dad's fixing to say bad words. And took the kids to the outside part of the Walmart there. And so... So the pressure is on. <laughs> you remember that, Tony? Come on now. The guy, this is the worst part. I'm way off track. The guy showed up in my Sunday school class. Preach it, brother. It was tough. That was, the, that was rough. And then there was no way I was avoiding this guy. He had parked beside me in the parking lot that morning. God is like, let me show you some stuff I learned in the, in the NOM. You know, he's like, he took me right over there. I'm like, Joker's parked right beside me, man. It was rough, man. When you represent the body of Christ, when you represent the church, people look at you and they see Plant Grow Harvest. Zach made his custom Plant Grow Harvest shirt there, his Carhartt shirt. So if, if, if he shows his behind and he's wearing that shirt, what does it say about Plant Grow Harvest? And they say, Zach, who are you? Well, I'm a deacon at Plant Grow Harvest. Oh, really? That's how they act? Think about the pressure... Like, you can get away with murder, you know. Yeah, I go to church. Yeah, sure you do. But if you're the deacon of the church, there's a higher expectation of performance and action as you get into the world because they're measuring the body itself by how you are. And you can say, well, they shouldn't. Well, they do. You can like it or not, but they do. So they got to keep that in their mind. And that was the first thing. As I was losing my cool in the, in the Walmart that day, I was like, man sure as anything this joker goes to our church man i mean i just there was no doubt in my mind i would have to face it again i want you to go to uh acts chapter eight so we look at Acts six we just read Acts six and it says they chose seven men we have five deacons but if you want to add jed and dave we could have seven so that way there we got the perfect number or whatever but but we have seven we have five, I'm sorry, we have five deacons, and I think we have the right amount for this fellowship. Um, I don't think we really need more right now as uh, we're able to accomplish what needs to be accomplished. And I told you that in Acts 8, uh, 1 through 4 there, it talks about how Paul, and by his radical actions, was forcing these disciples and these new believers in Christ to go to the nations. Now, they're being scattered to go out and, and, and preach the gospel everywhere. So I, we already talked about Stephen last week, gave his life and all that. Well, let's talk about Philip for a second. So here's deacon number two in the list of seven. Verse five. Then Philip went down to the city of Samaria and preached Christ unto them. And the people with one accord gave heed unto those things which deep, uh, Philip spake, hearing and seeing the miracles which he did. For unclean spirits crying with loud voice came out of many and were possessed with them. Many that were possessed with them. And many taken with palsies that were lame were healed. And there was great joy in that city. It goes on to talk about this man Simon and how even he, a, a, a witch doctor, was, was saved. And it says, verse 13, Then Simon himself believed also, and when he was baptized, he continued with Philip, and wondered, beholding the miracles and signs which were done. And he actually had the wrong mindset. He wanted to be able to use the Holy Spirit like Philip was in order to uh, make money. 
And so he, he ends up getting redeemed even then. He finds out that, uh, that uh, who, when they came down, prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Ghost. I'm talking about Simon. For as yet he was fallen upon none of them, only they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And they laid their hands on them and received the Holy Ghost. When Simon saw through the laying on of the apostles' hands the Holy Ghost was given, he offered them money. And so they're like, we're not doing that for you, buddy. And none of that, you better be praying right now that God doesn't strike you. They had already seen Ananias and Sapphira struck dead because they had lied about some money that they had received. It was their money to use as they wanted, and they acted like they were giving it all. They didn't, and they were both struck dead. So his life was definitely in peril in the early church there. And, uh, and uh, one of them says, um, But Peter said unto him, Thy money perish with thee. Thou hast neither part nor lot in this matter, for thy heart is not right in the sight of God. Repent, therefore, of this thy wickedness, and pray, God, if perhaps the thought of thine heart may be forgiven thee. And answered Simon, verse 24, Pray ye to the Lord for me, that none of these things which ye have spoken come upon me. And so, anyway, it says they, they testified, preached the Lord, preached the word. So then, Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch, and you should know that story if you've been here any length of time and witnessed any baptisms, which we haven't had many of lately. We need to have a few more, but... Um, he, he goes to the Ethiopian eunuch. This was a very high and affluent man in the, uh, in the kingdom of, of Ethiopia. And you know, there was a group of Jews that were taken out of Ethiopia back, it started in the 70s, 60s and 70s. And uh, I believe that their foundation was with this man, the Ethiopian eunuch, that took the message of the gospel back with him and had those people living as, uh, uh, as Jews anyway. So... Uh, so he, he witnesses to the Ethiopian eunuch. He passes. He's like passing through time and space. He's a supernatural actor here. And then go to Acts 21. Verse 8 and 9. This other spot where Philip's mentioned. And the next day, we that were of Paul's company departed and came into Caesarea. And we entered into the house of Philip, the evangelist. Now the evangelist. No more just one of the seven. He's an evangelist, which was one of the seven and abode with them. And the same man had four daughters, virgins, which did, not, which did prophesy. And as we tarried there many days, there came down from Judea a certain prophet named Agabus. So Paul goes to the house of Philip later on. So we see first that Philip has this power. He has this spirit given to him. He has this spiritual gift of evangelism. And what I want you to see about all these seven is, what I want you to see about all these five that we have and all these seven is, they got jobs. The deacon is the, what they call the side hustle. They're doing that. That's who they are. But they got jobs that they're making their living in. They're doing work, just like the deacons here. Just like the deacons here, there's no income made from deaconing. They do the deacon work as they're being called, as they've been appointed. So Philip, in that, we get to see his servant lifestyle and ministry. We see that his children are saved and that they too are doing the work of the ministry. We see that he's a known man who attracts other men of God. We see Agabus showing up at his house. So if you see a deacon, and um, you should see other godly men coming to him, either counseling with him, counseling him, or receiving counsel from him. And you know that he's growing spiritually, and that the overflowing of the Spirit is dripping off on these other guys. And so in seeing that, we see that Paul and Agabus comes, and so we see that he's a set-apart man for the service of the Lord, no matter what he's doing, no matter where he's at. He reaches the Samaritans. He pursues the wealthiest of men in the, in the, um, in the Ethiopian eunuch. He, pers he, he goes to the poorest, the Samaritans. These were the outcast people, the half-breeds. He goes to them. He goes to the poor. He goes to the rich. And he serves other people of the body of Christ. He's the total package. Now, like I said, this isn't just his job. This is who he is as a deacon. So what should the deacon's home look like? We'll blast through that real fast. It's only six after. Hey, we could talk for two more hours, couldn't we? I won't, I promise. Second Tim, or I'm sorry, First Timothy 3. I hear you muttering back there. So no muttering. No muttering. First uh, Timothy 3. So what should the deacon's home look like? So we see what the deacon in his, in his perfected form, as the deacon at his ultimate is Stephen, is Philip. So, so when we see Philip there at the end, that's about 20 years after when we first see Philip. So he's grown into that ability that he has there at the end. But even as a young Philip, 
he's doing the work of his evangelist. So what does the deacon's home look like? It's a pretty high standard to uphold. And I want to show you something in 1 Timothy. Man, I cannot find that. Where is that? Is that in this book? There we go. First Timothy chapter 3. We've got to start at verse 1 because I have to show you something that, is, that was um, shocking to me as I read it. I'm like, oh, I never realized that. So in chapter 3, verse 1, <clears throat> we're going to read all the way through uh, 13. It's not very long, though. This is a true saying. If a man desire the office of a bishop, he desireth a good work. A bishop must first be blameless, the husband of one wife, vigilant, sober, of good behavior, given to hospitality, uh, apt to teach, which means has ability in teaching, not given to wine, not a, a striker, not greedy for filthy lucre, which is uh, greedy for money, but patient, not a brawler, not covetous, one that ruleth well his own house, having his children in subjection with all gravity. For if a man know not how to rule his own house, how shall he take care of the church of God? Not a novice, lest being lifted up with pride, he fall into the condemnation of the devil. Moreover, he must have a good report of them which are without, lest he fall into reproach in the snare of the devil. Likewise must the deacons be grave, not double-tongued, not given to much wine, not greedy for filthy lucre, holding the mystery of the faith in a pure conscience, and let these also first be proved, and let them use the office of a deacon being found blameless. Even so must their wives be grave, not slanderers, sober, faithful in all things. Let the deacons be the husband of one wife, ruling their children in their own homes well. For they that have used the office of deacon well, purchase to themselves a good degree and great boldness in the faith which is in Christ Jesus. So if we read this verse and you look at Dale, you know Dale very well. All I can say is judge not lest you be judged. Because however you judge me, you're going to be judged by the same standard. That aside, we have to go through this list and see if my lifestyle, Tony, Jed, Dave, and the deacons, that if we, are, are we qualified to operate in these roles? And the first thing is that, that we can't have any kind of overt sin in our life. It says the bishop must then be blameless. The only one that I can check off and say, this is true and I have not broken this one, is husband of one wife. But all the rest of those, I promise you, I've fallen in at one point or another as far as losing my cool or, or uh, I don't know about the greedy, filthy lucre or whatever one, but I've never been too uh, greedy as far as wealth goes, but, but uh, God's been, been very gracious to me in that. But all those other things, I've, I've struggled in one way or another, but somehow he can actually use me. However, my overall goal is to be this person. I'm not giving myself a, a, um, a pass either. But it says that I'm to be, or that any of us are to be um, uh, temperate, sober-minded, husband of one wife, good behavior, hospitable, able to teach, not given to wine, not violent, not greedy for money, but gentle, not quarrelsome, not covetous. There's no doubt that any man can be pushed into stressful situations, react in a way he doesn't want to react. But in general, do the men that lead this church, could, could, they, could this list of things qualify them to lead us? And if the answer is yes, then we'll go to the deacons. If the answer is no, feel free to come to me afterwards and you can tell me where I fall short. And we'll, we'll take notes on each other. But look at qualifications of deacons. If I look at the thing for pastors... Then I got to look at the things for deacon. This is the word, Zach. You better look at it. It's 1 Timothy 3.8. It's tough. It says, likewise. Did you ever see that word before? The deacon has to have all of these same exact qualifications as the pastor. Did you ever see that before, Jimmy B? Likewise. That's a tough word. Likewise. Not only that his poor kids and his wife they got they're held to this higher standard let the deacons be the husbands of one wife ruling their children in their own house as well uh let's see even so their wives sorry their wives must be grave which is which is humble sober not slanderers they got their tongue under control uh sober which is knowing um this is about drinking but it's also it's a the word is temperance or it's both about not being a drunk but also about making wise decisions in the things that they do. And it says faithful in all things. Like if we went to any deacon's wife, we could know that the response we would receive would be consistent, it would be humble, it would be sober in mind and in body. Um, 
they would be filled, be not drunk with wine, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. They would be filled with the Holy Spirit. We could go to them and receive a good answer, just like we could with the deacon. And this is the other thing, children of deacons, is that the children are called to the same high standard. That you as a father, me as a father, as I, as I raise my kids to the best that I knew how, it wasn't perfect, as best I knew how, that my children go out and represent me to the world, and they could say about my kids, they looked at my kids like, man, you had special parents. Your parents were moral people. Your parents were God-fearing people because my kids act in that way. And it's one thing, I'm going to tell you, it's one thing when your kids are little for you to be able to control them and do that. It's once they get out of the house that you have to watch them go in the world and they're the witnesses. They are your witnesses. They're the quiver that you shot out there. They're the arrow from the quiver that you shot out there. They're the offensive weapon that went out there into the world. And their mission, like Philip's daughters, the four prophesying virgins, their mission is to preach the gospel, to be ministers of the gospel. It's a tough um, weight to put on a young person. But just like what happened to me at Walmart, I knew when stuff was going wrong that I was tarnishing the name of Central Baptist. I wasn't just tarnishing my own name. I was tarnishing the name of Central Baptist. If you're a deacon, then when you fall short, you tarnish the name of Plant Grow Harvest. You tarnish the name of Christ. The wife of the deacon, when you get out of line, however that works in your marriage or whatever, when you get out of line with your husband, you tarnish the name of your husband, who in turn tarnishes the name of Plant Grow Harvest, who in turn tarnishes the name of Christ. When you're a child, you tarnish the name of your parents, your father, the deacon, the church, and the name of Christ. It's a lot of pressure. To take the, the uh, ministry of deacon, Isaac was the wisest one of, of all you guys. He was like, no, no, not me, no, no, I got kids, and uh, <laughs> no. And we're like, come on, Isaac, you can do it. He's like, no, no, I want to be humble. Just leave me alone. But he realized that his name is affiliated with the fellowship, is affiliated with Christ. And in that, there's some pressure, man. I mean, that kind of fruit that it's talking about there, it should be, that's, that should be how we all act, but we don't because we're people. Thank God for his grace and for his forgiveness of sin. The trick, like I said, is for the deacon, not only does he have to accomplish all these things of the bishop, but likewise, he has to be more humble. He has to be more careful with his tongue. He has to be more careful with the way he handles money. He has to be more careful on how he handles uh, strong drink. He has to be more careful in how he handles his wife and how his wife reacts and how his wife um, demonstrates her godly life in the world. It's a tough thing. Likewise, deacons. I'm going to tell you, the old pastor, I can tell you, he's got it rough sometimes. I get blamed for stuff I had no idea was going on. I get blamed for words that I said that I didn't mean to say and words that I should have said that I never said. Well, how come you didn't tell him this? How come you didn't say that? Why did you do it this way? I don't know. That aside, plus this list of near perfection that I'm supposed to accomplish or that Tony's supposed to accomplish or Jed or Dave or, or any one of the deacons, it's a heavy burden to represent Christ in that way. The Bible says to be ye holy just as I am holy. That's a tough measure to be holy, but this is what holy looks like. And holy means set apart. To be set apart in this way is a big thing. And to do it well is an even bigger thing. So the deacon is appointed by the body, and when that happens, he's no longer his own slave. Before he was just, you were just a, you're just a slave just like the rest of us there, Petey. Now you're owned by us, who's owned by Christ. You're like double slave, triple slave. Ever how many people here are slave? It's a big thing. His life's no longer his own, and neither is his wife or his children. And it's really hard for us. It's probably one of the best things that can happen to us in a way because we are such selfish people to know that your life is not your own and to know that other people look at you and measure the body of Christ by your actions. I mean, they do that with any Christian. But to be one that's, that's father's a deacon or their father's a pastor, it's a, it's a tough spot. So the whole family's tongue is to be controlled. The whole family's action towards uh, soberness as far as in their action, temperance, and their behavior is measured, is, is measuring the church as people see them. So, so families of deacons out there and pastors, um, 
support your husbands and support your fathers well encourage them because i'm telling you it's tough um i i mean you get beat up by people in the church and outside the church but the ones in the church hurt worse i'm gonna tell you so you gotta they need that support in the home you go to the home and that should be your place of peace and your place of refuge remember the old hills of ether i'm telling you you need the peace that comes from the home so be peaceful wives and be peaceful children um honor your father and mother the bible says not to kick against the pricks quit kicking against the goads and rebellion against your husband or against the or against the one true god god the father and begin to be obedient in these things because in fact like i says you're you're not just rebelling against him you're rebelling against the whole body of christ and the lord himself so and the rest of the body here be merciful to us a bunch of sinners we just we have to stand before the god of of all creation and say just like the just like the tax collector i mean that's one of the best prayers in the bible have mercy on me oh god a sinner man you got to see yourself as that if you can see yourself as that then you can look at other people more peacefully and more graciously if you can't see yourself for what you really are just like the man in james you're like a man who looks in the mirror and forgets what he looks like and walks away you got to be able to look in god's word and see who you are in there know that he loved you anyway know that he, he chose you from before the foundation of the earth know first john 1 9 and use that about 15 times a day or more if you're me and you've got to be able to use those things to uh, to grow spiritually that way so i think we are going to have one more message on deacons at least but we've got some other stuff coming up between there that i want you guys to hear i hope you're taking the time to um to read that devotional we've been sitting out on email because i think it's an issue in this body and it's in it's the email it's so it's a separate one it's been coming on monday or tuesday tracy's been sending it out on the plank grow harvest one so don't confuse the wednesday one with the monday tuesday ones the last it's about what to do when god's not answering when you perceive that god is not speaking what are the things that you need to be doing i can print it out for you or you can go back in your emails and look for that look for that we got one more of those this week and then Dave's going to preach on that this Sunday and try to give us some, some confidence in that, in that aspect of God hears. Are you hearing? And so it's, a, it's, a, it's going to be a good thing. And then Jed's going to follow that up with um, uh, 2 Timothy 2.2. 2. And, uh, and we're going to talk about basically the serving of the body, disciples that are making disciples and faithful men. So we're going to try to pull all that together, and then we may have one more on deacons, and then we'll get into the Advent time. Uh, that we did last year which was really beneficial i think to our body so in saying that um if i could if i could get us to do one thing this week in your time of prayer i pray that you all have a time of prayer in your home or individually as you as you pray with one another pray by yourself or come up here and pray we pray here uh seven o'clock monday mornings you're welcome to come here and pray with us uh you'll pray for our deacons pray for the pastors Pray for those in authority over you, the Bible says. Pray for us. We're doing what we can to follow God's leadership. A little, a little artillery-like prayer uh, never hurts. So pray for us, okay? We're gonna, I'm going to say a word of prayer just so we can kind of change focus here, and then we're going to have those come that are going to lead music or whatever we're doing for. We're playing a song or you playing a song? Okay. So we're going to have a song there and get our minds right for uh, communion and go from there.